When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. On the Memphis Tigers Sports Network, from Learfield IMG College, this is Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Now, here's Jeff Brightwell. Our guest today, we jump over to men's soccer with Tony McManus. He's the associate head coach for the University of Memphis. And first of all, I know summer, people would think, well, that's the, that's the, it's the off time, but you guys are busy. You're going to have camps. You're out evaluating players and doing all that kind of stuff. The, uh, the work never stops. Yeah, it's, uh, y- you want to take a step back and relax, and you do get that. You don't have to be on the field all hours of the day. Um, but, I mean, there's administrative work that has to get done. And if, if you don't do it now, now you're focusing on it during the season when you only want to focus on the soccer. So you have to kind of break your, break your year up into uh, administrative and coaching. And, uh, and right now we're kind of in the administrative piece. Before we get into last season and how special that was to finally get Memphis back in the postseason, uh, and then you can't talk about specific players, but in general, when you guys have made contact with potential student athletes, what's the reaction been like since you guys have, have made it back to postseason? Uh, it's it's definitely been a much smoother uh, conversation with a lot of players. Uh, you know, a lot of players, especially the American players, the kids who know and have grown up with the college system, and they know the, the teams that are doing well, the teams that have traditionally done well. Um, they're, they're all scouting and scouring, you know, the teams that made the NCAA tournament, the teams that are in the top 25, and they're seeking those, those schools out first and foremost. And so it's been a, it's been a much easier foot in the door for them. 
But now you got to compete with all of those other schools for their services at the end of the day. So it doesn't necessarily get easier. It just gets you, gets you in the door. We're going to talk about the, that, that run. We're going to talk about your time here at Memphis a little bit later. But let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. A Bartlett Panther alum who went off to UAB, played some pro soccer before coming back to Memphis. And that was a different era of, of uh, prep high school uh, sports when you were playing at, at Bartlett. I know you're pretty excited because uh, they had a milestone season this year. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm proud of Brandon. I'm proud of Isaac, the, the coaches over there. They've done a lot with the the program since they've gotten there. It's always been a blue collar type mm-hmm. team, and you know they're always overshadowed with by the Houston's, the Collierville's, the Christian Brothers, and you know this was kind of their their coming out party. And I I, I would say everybody who's who's from Bartlett, everybody who uh, has has watched them for a while is is very proud, very excited about what they're doing there right now. So I'm uh, I'm ecstatic to see where they're going. But now I'd, I'd you know, every time I talk to them, I tell them you have the target on your back yeah. next year. So, be uh, be prepared for that. All the way to the uh, semifinals this year. Uh, so, some of your fonder memories uh, of playing at Bartlett, because you had, you know, you played on a really good teams too. But you mentioned there were some gatekeepers that were always in the those state finals that that just kind of you ran up against every year. Yeah, uh, we we always had uh had some good games against christian brothers against mus against uh cbhs uh houston those were the the big names when when i was in school and you know i was fortunately a part of the uh part of the team that the first team ever to to beat mus actually my first game as a as a freshman i scored the game winner against Uh mus and uh and then uh three years later two years later in my junior year uh, we went on and uh, and beat Christian Brothers for the first time ever, uh, and then uh, beat beat Carville, uh that year and the the following year. So those are those are milestones yeah. for for me, and uh, and helped the the program kind of start its uh, its wheels. I would I would hope uh, yeah. that was that was kind of the the starting point. And then we went on uh, my senior year, the last game we played, we lost to Houston, who was at the time uh, number one in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're beating them with uh, with nine minutes to go, and we're not going to get back into the details of how it happened. But I can certainly say that there was a uh, a teacher who uh, who was a teacher at Houston High School who also happened to be the AR for that oh. day, and I would say there was a very questionable missed offsides that uh, that ended up in the tying goal and subsequent uh, loss in that game, but. Uh, no hard feelings there, as you can tell. <laughs> when, when you scored that goal against MUS your first year and you guys beat the Owls for the first time in school history, what goes through your head? Do you think, hey, what, what's the big deal? Oh, man, it was, it was one of the, the craziest moments in, in my career up to that point. I'd, you know, I was always used to playing club, yeah. always used to playing ODP and stuff like that. And there's, there's no crowds at those. It's, it's your family. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the other players' mm-hmm. families. And you know maybe there's a couple scout coaches, but that's that's about it. You can count the the fans on your fingers and your toes. Uh, for the first time ever, you're you're playing in high school, and now you have all of your friends, you have all the opposing crowd, and so it's the first time you get an opportunity to play in front of a, a real crowd. And so you didn't know what to do. It was it was kind of you know uh, surreal having that that moment and. You know, being able to to score that and then show up the next day in school and you're you're a hero, uh, and so it was it was a great feeling. It was something that I'll never forget, and uh, and and something that. 
hopefully uh, hopefully we're able to pass down to the, the guys here yeah. at, uh, at the University of Memphis. Made the decision to go down to UAB. You had great success there uh, in All-American. You were on an Elite Eight team, a conference championship team. What was the decision uh, process? Because I'm sure you were recruited by a bunch of different schools, probably including Memphis. It was a situation where yeah, you grew up here, played at Bartlett, want to want to get out, see something different? There were, there were a lot of different factors uh, that, that went into the decision. Um, you know, I was very close with my family. I was, I was close with all my friends mm-hmm. from high school. And leaving the city was, was something that was, that was hard to do. But for me, I really wanted to expose myself to the, mm-hmm. the, the best play possible. And we were actually, we were still in the same conference yeah. as, uh, as Memphis. But at the time, Memphis, they, they tended to always get some of the some of the stronger, better players from Memphis, but just didn't seem to be able to put it together right. on the on the field. And uh, and so UAB at the time was a top twenty five school, and they had been doing it for a couple of years. And you know, getting that opportunity to go there was uh, was a, a dream. Uh, Coach Getman was one of the ODP coaches, so I was familiar with him. Um, it was. At the time, it was about a four-hour drive because yeah. the uh, interstate yeah. wasn't finished. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that this morning. It used to stop it at right before Jasper, and yeah, then you got to worst. drive through yeah. all these, you know, small towns on the way there. And now it's you know a luxury just yeah. get in and fly straight down there, and so you can uh, you can do it in a relatively short time. But back then, it was it was about a four-hour drive to get down there, which for me was very reasonable. I was close enough to to get home when I needed to. But far enough where mom and dad weren't showing up on the doorstep yeah. any uh, anytime they wanted to. <laughs> yeah, obviously with the success of conference championship, All American honors, you get to an elite eight, a great run uh, in the college cup. But overall, what was the experience like down there? It was what it was probably the best time of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, it was it was something where we had a lot of success on the field. Um, we did it every every year. We had we had great players, great coaches. Uh, the city was very supportive of us. We had a great community around us that that really showed up and, and supported the team, um, and we got to we got to travel around the country and not just the country. We got to travel around the world. Uh, we got to go to uh, Argentina for a trip and actually got to uh, got to spend some time at Diego Maradona's place. Um, went over to to England on a on a trip. So we had some some great life experiences that uh, that we were able to to. Um, to experience and you know it was it was a very fun very uh educational time and you know helped a lot of growth and development in my life and what's it like playing at a program like uab in the state of alabama because obviously sec doesn't have soccer you think of those schools and their football programs and some of their athletics but you're at the at the premier soccer program in an entire state and as you mentioned getting to to play on the the international tours and things like that with the UAB it's got to be special to kind of be the uh not just the big man on campus but the big team on campus at that time yeah absolutely uh and and we were uh you know it was not to discredit the the football program because they have certainly come a very long way since then uh the basketball program has has traditionally been a powerhouse um, they they went they had some some up and down moments while uh, while we were there, but we were consistently the strongest program on on campus, and so the entire athletics department really supported the program very well. I mean, it was every game we we played, there was five, six, seven hundred mm-hmm. fans in the crowd, and it just continued to get bigger and bigger as uh, as we we made runs into uh, into the NCAA tournament, as we made runs in the conference tournament. So 
it was a very special opportunity. But I won't say that we were the only program in the state of Alabama. We were the only we were the the top Division One program, right. but we had AUM, who yeah. was uh, at the time an NAI powerhouse, who had won multiple national championships. Uh, we had University of Mobile, who I believe at the time was a Division Two powerhouse. Uh, so we got to play them during the spring season, sometimes during preseason, and it was a grudge match, just like it is when we play against CBU. Yeah. I mean, those were never easy games. Uh, they were competitive as could be, and you know they they really challenged you because everybody wanted to be yeah. the dominant team in the in the state. But uh, fortunately, we were doing it at the Division One level, so we got most of that recognition. At what point do you start drawing interest from from pro scouts and 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 getting getting at least the knowledge that I can play the next level? Did did you see that? In prep school, or did that come about once you were in college? Well, when I was in in high school, the MLS was just a fledgling mm-hmm. league. I mean, it yeah. was it was very young, very small. Uh, there wasn't a lot of knowledge on it. You would never see anything on ESPN or anything like that. And so, I don't know that that I was necessarily thinking in that those terms while I was in high school. I think it was you want to play at the international level. You want to play at the Olympic level. Um, and then, you know, as you get into college, the MLS is starting to get bigger, it's starting to get more, uh, more recognition from the country. And again, because of Coach Getman and his connections, uh, we, we often had um, professional teams coming into town to, to train during their preseason. So uh, during our spring, spring season, I mean, I, I can remember multiple times where uh, FC Dallas, or at the time it was Dallas Byrne, mm-hmm. uh, was in town for a, for a training camp. Um, Chicago Fire came into town for a, uh, for a training camp, and I I think that was the one kind of that that got their attention, that got me the the original opportunity to mm-hmm. be drafted by them, um, because we we had tied them two to two in a game where uh, you know we were we were on the same level as they were, and I think we showed very well as a as a team, and I think that kind of caught their attention. Um, but we also had the, the, the full national team. And actually, the first time I ever met Richard uh, was when the n- national team was down there playing. I want to say it was Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm a sophomore, junior, something like that in college. And here's this guy from, from Memphis who's, you know, he's playing with the national team. And you're just a, a deer in headlights. And just getting the opportunity to meet him was, uh, was a special moment. And probably something he doesn't remember, but it was something that, that stuck out with with me for for as long as I could live and or as long as I was uh, I, there playing uh, you know playing in my career you wanted to live up to to that standard you wanted to be like him so I would say uh, an idol of sorts uh, but um, it was it was a special opportunity to to have that there and I think we we had a lot of opportunities to to be scouted by professional teams while we were there and that kind of gave us the the thought process of man I think I can do this yeah the when you get to play pro soccer you played for several different teams and a couple of different leagues in a USL and ASL when I was kind of looking at the teams you played for what one that stood out this is because MLS is getting a little bit more exposure now it's growing and you see the big crowds but you got the really I, I think a really neat experience getting to play for the Portland Timbers because when you talk about a team that's come up from the USL into MLS and you see them on TV and it's one of the communities that really, and you look at Providence Park, one of the communities that pushed all the chips in. Yep. We're a soccer community. We have dedicated fans. It was probably one of the first teams 
to really have a legitimate supporters section out there and all the things that go along with it. What was the experience like getting to play for one of those big teams like Portland? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was the most memorable time of my life in in terms of soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was when I first got there. Uh, I was still in the USL um, and. You know, you would you would never have known that. Uh, we averaged, I think, our our first year twenty thousand fans a game, um, and then you go to places like Vancouver, uh, and you're 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 getting decent crowds there. You have that that great rivalry there, but you know, for for places that you know want to who are now in the MLS, you know, you see the fan bases and where they where they came from, and I don't want to call it fake, but right. you know, I I had many opportunities to play against uh, Seattle before they were in the MLS right. as well. And I would say that uh, they couldn't get quest filled out. Right. Uh, they, you know, getting that lower bowl, even half full would be a, uh, would be a challenge for them. But, um, you know, Portland is, is one that legitimized uh, soccer fans in the, in this country. I think they are rabid up there and it was, you were always a, a star wherever you went, you were, you you felt like a like a superstar mm-hmm. there. It was uh, it was a great experience having that pre MLS and then having that uh, that first year in the MLS was uh, was something very very special too. It's probably one of the organizations that re- you you see it now because the USL we're experiencing this with nine hundred one FC is that MLS went away with it a long time ago. Even though I think New York City FC still shares Yankee Stadium, but. We need to build soccer-specific facilities. If we're going to make this legitimate, we don't need to play in multi-purpose facilities. I know Providence Park and Old Baseball Stadium, but they turned it into a soccer-only facility. It has so many unique yeah. things about it. But one of the first organizations that go, no, we we are a soccer program here. We're not sharing anything with anybody. Our focus is purely on this team. Yeah, no, Merritt really, for, for a long time, Merritt's the uh, owner of the Timbers. Um you know, he he was definitely a, a soccer and a baseball guy initially. And, you know, it it started, I think, when when he started seeing the success of the team, he was like, well, I think we can really do this with uh, with this team and really go all in on them. And so he sold the uh, the Beavers, which was the uh, the AAA team that was that was sharing the stadium with us, moved them on and made it a full-time soccer stadium. And, you know, what he's done with it, what the city has, has done to, to support them has been nothing but uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's it's one of the best stadiums, if not the best stadium mm-hmm. in the MLS, in, uh, in my opinion. All right. At what point in your, in your pro career is it's kind of winding down? Did it kind of get into your head, or had you known it for a while that I might want to get into coaching? Yeah, I was, um, you know, as a, as a uh, journeyman, uh, soccer player, I would I would say you know you're not making a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know you're you're sometimes scraping by. Uh, you know playing most of my career in the USL. Um, it you know it's it's not a glamorous lifestyle, and so you had to uh, you had to find things to to do sometimes to to make ends meet. To to if you wanted to live a quote-unquote lavish lifestyle, which I wasn't trying to live. Uh, but, you know, to be more than just I'm scraping by, you had to do more than just make your, your paycheck from the team. And so for me, uh, soccer was, was something that I knew in and out. And it was something that I was very passionate about. And, 
you know, I had opportunities to uh, to start uh, coaching some some club teams. Uh, first, I would be an assistant coach with a team, and then as you know, time went on, I got more comfortable. I would I would take over as a head coach. I would do personal training, do whatever I could to to try to make ends meet. And then probably by the the last year of my career, I was starting to really think, okay, I need to I need to really dial it in and I need to focus solely on the on the uh coaching side of it for the for the long term and I had an opportunity to to join Oglethorpe um at the D3 college in Atlanta yeah. as a volunteer assistant uh John Aiken who was the head coach still is the head coach there gave me the opportunity to come in as a volunteer just kind of learn the ropes give me some opportunity to work with some of the players and uh it was it was something that I really enjoyed and something that I I felt that I could give back to. I'm I'm passionate about this. I can kind of share some of the experiences that I had as a player in college and as a pro, and try to help somebody. You know, lead the same path, if not uh, exceed the the things that I was able to achieve. And um, and so I I stayed there for uh, for a season, and then after that, I had the opportunity to go to to Stetson uh, under Coach Tom, uh, Logan Fleck. And um, and then the rest is history from there. All right. So tell us how how did it? Of course, being a Memphis native, I'm sure you, you're coming home, see the family, see friends. You're in town every now and then. You had met Mulrooney when he was on the national team down at Birmingham, although you were still in college, so you had a little bit of connection there. How did it all come about getting back to Memphis? Yeah. So it's you know there's there's a lot of just you know moments where um, I felt that you know. I had reconnected with Richard at different points. Uh, obviously, the first time I had met him was at the uh, national team in Birmingham. And then uh, the the second time, and again, he probably doesn't remember this, he had uh, torn his ACL in, uh, in Dallas. And uh, after my season in Atlanta, I was loaned to Dallas for the rest of the uh, rest of the season there. He was rehabbing, so he wasn't in training. He wasn't mm-hmm. really in, involved much there. Um, but... You know, I had run into him a couple times while uh, while he was rehabbing while I was uh, in Dallas at that point in time, and then there was a big gap between that point and uh, and the next time uh, we ran into each other. And this is when I was at Stetson. Uh, he was the assistant here at Memphis. Uh, we had both had an opportunity with a with a former. Um, it might have been one of his teammates, uh, but a former opponent that uh, that we had in uh, in common. Mm-hmm. Who had asked us to come down to uh, somewhere in South Florida for a, for an ID camp, and so he ended up uh, p- pairing us together in the in the same room. It was just odd coincidence that that we ended up together, and uh, we had gotten to, to talking. You know, I had told him, you know, I'd love to to get back to Memphis at some point. You know, don't know how, don't know where, and. Um, and it just so happened that uh, that the following year, Richie took the position out in California, and uh, and Richard thought of me and gave me the opportunity to come up here and join him. And you know, ever since then, it's it's you know it's been history. You know, I've I've loved the time, loved the opportunity that he's given me. I'm very thankful to to everything that he's he's done for me as a person, as a coach. Uh, and so it's uh, it's something that it's very easy to do to to show up to work every day and have a smile on your face yeah. and want to get to work. You guys have been on this journey then since since the start, and it, it, it has been a journey. Uh, obviously, you guys weren't looking for a, a quick fan. I don't want to use the word fix. It was Richard – I mean, uh, Richie did a really nice job here at the program, but putting 
your identity on the program and in the Mulroney tenure. Uh, it has been a journey because he wanted his own ID. Uh, programs were a little bit different. Style of players are a little bit different. One of the most interesting things I think you guys did, and it was a big roll of the dice, a big gamble. I've talked to Richard about it on some of his coaches' shows was that I believe it was what three, four years ago, y'all decided this is not going the direction we want it. We need to completely break it down and do a rebuild. That, that's kind of a, a gutsy move uh, in the middle of a, you know a coaching tenure because you don't know yeah. You know, if you break it down, that 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 could be the end of it. Yeah, and you know, it's it, it's funny. We've had several different rebirths. Um, you know, when we took over the program, uh, we had a. I think we had a, a good year the first year. I think we had nine wins that mm-hmm. that season. I think we lost in the first round of the conference tournament, and then the the next year, it's you know we're trying to bring all of our guys in here, and yeah. we were young. Uh, we had yeah. a lot of young faces. We had some very very talented players at at that point, but we were trying to do it with freshmen and you know in soccer unfortunately you can't create the fab five yeah. uh you can't have 11 freshmen out there starting that's the, the reality is it, it won't work in soccer and we were so young and we took our beatings yeah. and um and you know it there were growing pains off the field you know learning how to to develop the culture the right way how to to you know find the right characters uh, I think we we learned a lot of things about the type of player that we were looking for. You know, we had we had some uh, some some guys who were not all in on the on the soccer side, and you know, it was something that that we had to learn how to identify those yeah. characters and and try to, to to recruit the guys who kind of fit the holistic uh, approach of what we were looking for. And uh, and so you know that that second year was was not great. I think the the third year. Um, we started turning things around, and um, and then I think we uh, we had another another down year that that following year. Just there were a lot of there was a lot of turnover that year, uh, and it was again still trying to to find the right mold or find the right fit. And then we we started finally getting to that. We we found the right combination, the right mixture of returners of transfers of incoming freshmen and really started to to kind of put them together and we uh we had a um i think we were eight and eight that that following season lost in the in the first round of the conference tournament but that was a group that you started really start finally seeing that buy-in uh really started to, to see them you know this is we want to do this and then that next year was the the first 10 win season we had had uh, pre-COVID, we had uh, Sam Ashton, who you know went on a goal-scoring you know blaze and uh, and really kind of led the team. We had some some great young players who came in and helped out, and so we we were starting to really put our identity yeah. together. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit, yeah. and I you know everybody in the country felt the same pains that uh, that we did. And you know, unfortunately, during that time, you know, you could not have create the locker room culture that that you wanted and so you couldn't have that camaraderie you couldn't have that brotherhood that that we were trying to create and now it was just kind of these separate groups of people who lived in this house who lived in this house and who lived in this house and they could only get together at practices or at games and so you started to to lose that identity that that we had been starting to create and um and you know that that COVID year was was tough, and it was tough for for our record. It was tough for, you know, 
every everything that that could have tested us as a coaching staff we we were tested that year and at the end of that that season it was we can't do this again right and you know that we had some very talented players uh and some some very very good players but it was one where it just became too toxic and you had to cut some of those guys loose and you know it's not working for us it's not working for you we've got a part we've got to start over and we were able to to start things over and we we were able to to keep a core group of guys that we really felt strongly about who who fit the the core values that we were looking for within the the group and that were good leaders with within and set a good example and we we found guys to come in and you know carry that on with them and you know we had a we had a good good season overall in the conference that year we took our beatings at the beginning of the year where we're still trying to figure each other out we're still trying to find that cohesive unit and then all of a sudden it just clicked once yeah. we got into the into the conference I was going to ask you about that team two years ago uh any, any success you guys have regardless if it's the NCAA last year and then going forward how is that team two years ago kind of the defining moment because you talked about I remember that year first half of the season you're having trouble scoring goals. You're not getting wins. It looks like this thing's going to spiral out of control. Then about midway through the season, you hit conference. Something clicks. You guys just go on a tear back half of the season. You talked about the character and the culture of the program. That had to do just be a defining second half of what this program could be. Absolutely. Um, I, I think we had some some guys who were who were good leaders who finally stepped out of that shell and were ready to, to step up and lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it was the most talented team that we ever had, but it was it was a team that that they started to kind of figure out the identity that we were preaching to them. We have to be blue collar. We have to be workhorses. We have to fight because nobody's going to give us anything. I think a lot of people when they when they see the University of Memphis, it's a big name and. You know, they think that we have the the nicest gear, we have the nicest this, we you know, you have the nicest that, that you're just going to be able to step on the field and people are going to say, you know what, we're just going to roll over for you. And I, it, it took a while to, to really breed that we have to fight and we have to battle and we have to work for this. But it started to, to really take over. And there were a couple guys who they just, they couldn't find their their role. And finally, we found the right fit for them and the right role that worked for them and the right relationships on the field, uh, the right pairings. And you started, started seeing it. And, you know, again, the, this is why it's, it's nice to have games before we get into the conference season is because, you know, they don't necessarily affect us. Right. Um, they helped us learn more about our team and about what we needed to be going into the conference season. And by the time we got to the conference season, we we started figuring it out, and and guys really started to to buy in, and it was it was a great group. We really miss a lot of those guys, um, but uh, but but one that, you know, again we had a special year last year, but those guys are the ones who set us on the path for uh, for this last year. How much fun was last year? I know it's not a finished product. You guys have bigger aspirations. You want get, you know conference championships, make deep runs. But for a guy like you that's made a deep run as a player back at UAB, how much fun was it for you to see them experience success against a very tough schedule, and then finally uh, get the program back in the postseason? Yeah, it was it was a big sigh of relief. Um, it was very exciting to to be able to just be on that bus on the way to St. Louis and just know that. 
you know what we're in the postseason we're we're playing for for something that that really matters and you know we're playing against a traditional rivalry yeah. uh, and you know it was it was just one of those things where it it felt surreal to be in that moment but you don't want it to be a surreal moment moving forward you want it to be you know a stepping stone uh, you know, again, we had some great moments with the with the boys. We had some great wins over the course of the season. We also had some some heartbreaking losses yeah. and some heartbreaking draws, and you know, games where you know we we were we were unfortunate to to not get results in. But that's that's the things that we're trying to teach these guys is we have to be that that team that shows up each and every game because that one detail, that one mistake is is the difference between, you know, finishing the season fourteen and and three and and, you know, nine and uh nine and six. So it's um it's it, it was a fun year, uh, but one that, you know, I don't think that anybody can step away from and say you know what? We're there, and we we're where we want to be. Uh, we still have a ways to go. I think we have a great group returning. We have a great group coming in uh, that we're more excited about than we've we've been in a really really long time. But you know, we're we're still two months away from from having an opportunity to to compete. So it's going to be nerve wracking all the way up to that. Final thing, uh, what's the messaging been like from the coaching staff, and what have you heard from the returners who who got their first? taste of postseason as far as their hunger to uh to to get back and and even build on that yeah it's it the response has been great and if you watched us over the course of the the spring season uh not all the results went the way that we wanted them to but i think the more the most important thing that we got out of the spring was the style of play the identity that we're still trying to create and it was consistent game in and game out and now we've got to be able to match the identity to the results that that we're getting and I think everything that we've gotten every all the communication that we've been having with the the guys over the over the summer has been very positive we have a lot of guys playing different places and it's it's competitive from within and I I think that's one of the things that we're really trying to instill in them is is a a brotherhood Mm -hmm. but a brotherhood that's built on rivalry that's built on competition with within because if if you can have those things you're you're going to be able to compete with anybody that you step on the field with so i think we have a lot of guys who are hungry to get back there but not just hungry to get back there they they saw a st louis team that that went and lost to indiana who indiana went on and and lost in the the national finals and i'm not going to say we would we would have beaten indiana but I felt that we matched up very well with them. And so, you know, I think our guys see that we're on par. We're, we're right there with all these other teams. And so now what are we doing this summer to put us over that, that hump? And I, I think we're, we're closer than we ever have been before, but it, it, it won't get there with just talking. So we're going to have to show up and, and put our, our money where our mouth is. Coach, it was great catching up with you and can't wait till the fall. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. This has been Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Memphis Tigers Sports Network. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.
available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows all states to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. All state fire and casualty insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.